Welcome to the Small Business Big Life Podcast. My name is Derek Van Ness, and I'm the lead wealth strategist and founder at Big Life Financial, where we use innovative tax and financial strategies to help business owners keep more of the money they make and be a whole lot smarter at growing it. We believe every person has something unique and valuable to bring to the world, but far too often money stops them from sharing those gifts. We're here to fix that problem by helping people get money out of the way so they can unleash their full potential on the world. Stick around to the end of the show, and I'll even reveal how you can be the next guest on one of the fastest growing daily inspirational podcasts on the planet. So let's get this thing started now. Well, welcome everybody. This is Derek Van Ness, your host once again on the Small Business Big Life podcast. And today I've got a guest who's going to get you so excited about a thing that people don't get very excited about until they dig in and find out more about it. Yes, we're going to be talking to someone who is in the taxes and building your business and being smarter with your money. His name is Dan Nicholson. And Dan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'm excited to have you here. Uh, you have uh, a topic that I have grown really excited about over the years, just because taxes and not c- controlling your money is so darn expensive that uh, guys like you are really important if people start to realize it. You know, it's funny to me, if you, if you step back and you look at your biggest expense for the year in terms of total dollar value, taxes is either your biggest, if not one of your three biggest expenses, Mm-hmm. But it's often the thing that's most ignored. I know. I know. I joke with people. I'm like, taxes are actually more expensive than your kids. Did you know that? And they like <laughs> yeah. freak out a little bit. <laughs> yeah. More than your mortgage payment, typically. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's serious. So, so Dan, tell, tell us a little bit about, for people who aren't familiar with you, who are you? What do you do? How do people get in touch with you? Yeah. So... I maybe like many of your listeners, I was that cliche kid growing up scheming on business ideas. So at the, <laughs> the heart of things, I, I consider myself to be a, an entrepreneur, entrepreneur and business owner who happens to know a bunch about nerdy tax stuff and financial things. Um, took a weird detour in my career and uh, did a fellowship at the board that writes all the accounting standards. So I helped write this really technical accounting standard on derivatives and hedging activities, which I will not bore you guys about. <laughs> um, and so I kind of went on this weird uh, weird direction the first 10 years of my career. And then I realized, hey, maybe I'm good at this tax accounting thing. And I think there's a business opportunity there because most accountants are basically archeologists. They just dig up the past. Mm-hmm. If you want to actually pay less in tax and you want to actually get closer to the things that matter to you, you can't look in the past. You got to look into the, the future. So I've, I've built a CPA firm and degree CPAs and then a kind of ecosystem of other businesses around this idea of how do we just help you get closer to the things that you want in the most, most efficient way possible. I, I love it. Um, I, I kind of joke and often draw the distinction between a tax recorder and a tax advisor, right? The recorder just writes down what you did. The advisor helps you make decisions proactively. So you do pay a lot less in taxes. And I know before the show, you and I were talking a little bit about uh, how taxes are behavior driven. And I want to get into that. But before we do that, you obviously have a lot of insight to draw from. And I always like to ask right up front, like if you could only give one piece of advice to a business owner, uh, what would you share with them? Your business exists to serve you. 
So every action we take needs to actually get us closer to the things that we want. Oftentimes we think that we're taking actions that get us closer, but when we step back, we realize that wasn't the case. So we really need to be clear on what it is that we're trying to get closer to. So let me unpack that just a little bit and ask, um, sometimes people, like you said, think that they're doing things that are going to get them closer. How do you draw the distinction between something that's actually getting you there versus something that's not, or oftentimes it's like busy versus productive, right? Like how do you kind of decipher that or break that down for yourself? Yeah. Yeah. It's a really good question. Many of us as entrepreneurs, we've been told we need to figure out our why we've been told that we need to put together a vision board and uh, it creates a lot of anxiety. It's like (laughs) for many of us, like, especially if we're younger, it's like, well, I don't know what my why is or my why has changed or I create this vision board. And now I actually have more uncertainty because I don't know how am I going to achieve all this right now? And so we tend to, to, uh, just assume that more is the answer to our problems. Uh, If I just make more, Mm -hmm. but the problem is, is that we don't actually have a solvable equation. That vision board doesn't tell us actually how much more we need to make. Mm. So we don't have a, it's like if I said X plus Y plus Z equals 10. Now tell me what X is. You're going to go, well, I can't, it's a multivariable equation. I can't solve it for you. Uh, So many of us, haven't created the solvable equation. I I built this tool called the certainty app to do that, to basically take your, create what I call your unique wealth algorithm, uh, actually define what it is that you're trying to get closer to. Is it, there's some, some things that we all have pay off debt, have reserves, fund retirement, but then we have a bunch of unique things, Mm -hmm. 10 more hours per week of free time, vacations, legacy, kids, so on and so forth. So, We need to get those things down, put a date and a dollar value to it. And then when we sync all of our assets and cash flow, we can actually solve for how much more do we need to make. Once we know that number, then we can actually optimize and figure out the most efficient path for it. But you have to do that front end work first. So what it sounds to me like you're doing with that uh, to create a little more certainty, since that's what the app is called, you're looking to sort of quantify those things that are a little less tangible so that people have a real target to hit as opposed to something that's so, so fuzzy. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I have a little equation, um, that I adapted from somebody else. It's this, uh, financial anxiety. So many of us have financial anxiety Uh equals financial uncertainty times financial powerlessness. So the the uncertainty and the lack of power amplify each other. So multiplication and the outcome of that is anxiety. So what do we want to do? We need to get more certainty, actually know what we're trying, trying to achieve and what it's going to take. And Mm -hmm. then from that, we can gain more power because now we can figure out the right tools to put in place and the right structures. Yeah. It's funny. I was a, a a purpose coach for business owners for a while. And, and the kind of the thing that, that we talked about was, you know, of course, getting as clear as you can about what you want out of life, but then going in and we need to create the framework and the structure to support that. Right. And some people focus all on the the framework and the structure, but then they build a a prison for themselves. And then other people, you know, they're just footloose and fancy free, don't really know what they're trying to do. And they struggle with it because they've got no frame. So it sounds to me like you're kind of marrying the two of those. So love that. Yeah. Yeah. So 
Go ahead. Sorry, guys. What I was going to add on to that is that we we have this tendency, and there's a lot of neuroscience behind this, to bounce back and forth between rigidity and chaos. So mm-hmm. like, and and uh, it's like yo-yo dieting, or we do that with our finances or with our business decisions. We assume uh, that, okay, well, if I just try harder, at this time, I'm going to try harder. Yeah. Right? Um, and so we make a lot of assumptions uh, and build systems around effort and operating in the extremes. Mm-hmm. And that's a very fragile structure. We need to do the opposite of that. Let's actually assume that we're really, that we're biased because we are. And there's a lot of neuroscience behind that. Um, so we need to think about building systems in, from the opposite perspective of uh, not assuming that we're going to be perfect every day, not assuming that we're not going to be subject to biases. Right, right. We're, what you're saying is we're not robots? <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> uh, fortunately and unfortunately, we are not robots. Yeah, yeah. One of my favorite quotes from a year or two ago was you don't rise to the level of your willpower, you sink to the level of your systems, right? Mm-hmm. So really put the systems in place because we all think, oh, I can muscle through this. I can work harder. I can willpower it. But you know this because you're referencing neuroscience, like willpower is a muscle that actually wears out. It doesn't get stronger the more you use it. And so if we have those systems in place to support us, that makes a massive difference I found in my own life. So true. Yeah. So, so Dan, there's a lot of people out there that are CPAs, financial guys, whatever. What is it that you guys have done to really step out from the crowd and create unique value in the world or, or kind of differentiate yourselves? Because I think there's a lot of people who listen to the show who are kind of in this space, right? The financial world, financial stuff is a pretty popular occupation. How have you guys found a, a way to do that? Because sometimes it feels like it's easy to be commoditized. It's certainly easy to be commoditized in the accounting space if, if what you're doing is just cranking out tax returns or just cranking out bookkeeping because those are largely uh, uh, commodities at this point. It's hard for the consumer to understand the value between you and HR Block if you're purely just doing tax tax preparation. Mm-hmm. It's uh, What I like to do is every system is perfectly designed to create the outcome it's currently generating. I believe that statement is to be true. So if you study the systems then you can figure out how to change the inputs or how to create a new system. And so if we stop and we go, okay, well, who's paying the least amount in tax right now? Well, it's investors and big corporations on a percentage basis, individuals and cor- and small businesses on a percentage basis paying quite a, quite a bit more. Mm-hmm. So what is it that those investors and big corporations and high net worth people are doing that the small business owner or individual are not. And there is the answer. There's the system we should, we should try and follow. If we want it for optimizing for the least amount of tax, why not just behave uh, consistent with the system that's already creating the outcome that we want. So pick your favorite billionaire, uh, Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, I don't know, Donald Trump, doesn't matter to me. Pick whoever you're, favorite billionaires, mm-hmm. they don't wake, I can assure you, they do not wake up on April 15th and find out they owe a bunch of money in taxes. Sure. sure. <laughs> Whereas the individual or small business owner often has no idea what they owe because the, the big corporation or that high net worth uh, individual, they know, Hey, this tax number is a huge, potentially a huge percentage of our expenses. So we should manage that. 
Mm -hmm. So they have a business plan for their taxes. They have a roadmap, right? They're modifying their behavior in a way to access the preferential deductions and credits. The individual or small business owner has no idea about uh, these tax credits. They don't know what they don't know. Right. And so consequently, they aren't modifying their behavior to access things. We talked beforehand about the R&D credit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's a, a lot of things that are out there that aren't really adding additional risk. You know, people are afraid. Individuals live in fear of being audited. Yeah. Microsoft, I uh, used to work on the uh, Deloitte, so we're the external auditors. The IRS had a permanent office on the Microsoft campus. They're perpetually under audit. Right? <laughs> um, that actually counterintuitively allows them to be more aggressive. Yeah. They want to fact check me. Individual lives in fear. They have no documentation. They don't know what positions they're taking. Uh, so they're living in fear. Microsoft is not living in fear of being audited. Yeah. It, it's interesting because like a lot of people do live in fear of, of being audited. And what I found is um, sometimes it's helpful to quantify how much that fear is costing you. Right. Because 100%. I talk to people all the time. Oh, I don't know if I want to do that. What if I get audited? And I'm like, what if you pay an extra 50 grand a year for the next 20 years? Would you I, rather I'm glad get, you said or that. get the million? <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you said that. Um, Cause it connects back to what I was talking about, about having that solvable equation and being able to measure how much more do I actually need? Yeah. Cause if you could map out all your, this, what if scenario, we map out all of our priorities and we determine that, hey, you're going to hit every objective if you had $50,000 more per year in cash flow. And mm-hmm. you could save all of that if you implemented these three tax strategies. So you don't actually have to get any more clients, mm-hmm. uh, hire any more employees. All you need to do is maintain what you're currently doing and implement these three tax strategies. If I can see how that connects me to hitting all of my priorities. Now it becomes much more clear. Well, why would I not do that? Right. Well, and the big thing, and you you kind of alluded to this, is if you document things and you just take care of them, then like audits aren't quite so scary. I mean, nobody wants to have the IRS looking over their shoulder, That's but right. the truth is, so why don't you take me through this? Let's, what's, I don't want to call it a worst case, but like, what's the probable worst case scenario of an audit? Someone has to pay yeah. some extra taxes and penalties? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. And I'll just say as sort of prefacing remarks, I'm not encouraging people to go out and get audited. I'm not (laughs) not saying, hey, we should all get audited like Microsoft. Um, But what I am saying is that first off, uh, audits are on a percentage basis, they've been trending down. So the probability of you getting audited is less less and less, but that's not a a reason to be cavalier. It's just data, right? Uh, the, The worst case, Worst case scenario is that you got to pay the tax that you should have paid and some penalties, mm-hmm. assuming you didn't do anything fraudulent. Now, anytime okay. you're working with the CPA, we have to, we can only take positions that are more likely than not. So in other words, uh, assuming we're not, you're not, you know, of course there's always the sketchy person out there, but uh, every strategy that you should be implementing has already been vetted. In fact, yeah. These investors and these big corporations, they've already taken the risk for you because they had so much at stake dollar value wise Mm -hmm. that we can go and study the court cases and figure out, well, here's exactly how we need to document this. So the playbook is already there. We just have to conform to it. 
We don't need to reinvent something new. We just, let's just duplicate what's already out there. Follow that course. Then we're not really taking on much risk. Right. Right. Especially when you compare it to the reward that's there. Right. Exactly. Yeah. If you, if you took how take the tax savings the 50,000 and then go, well, how much in revenue would I look at my margins? I got, okay. 20% margin. So how much more revenue would I need to bring in to have 50,000 in profits? Right. It's hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? Hundreds so, of thousands. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very significant. And I think people sometimes forget that. Uh, and I, I had someone break it down on a podcast I did recently where we were talking about R and D and it's like, Oh, if you get $10,000 back, well, you had to, you know, you had to earn 50, pay your staff, take all the risk, the marketing, all the other stuff to end up with 10. So every 10,000 you get back is, is $50,000 that you would have earned top line without all the drag on the system and all the risk and all the other stuff. Right. So it's pretty, it's pretty potent stuff. We, We would often, if I told you. Hey, let's launch a marketing campaign to get you, you know, fifty thousand dollars in new new business. We might be all over that if I told you, hey, there's a, you know, reasonably confident that I'm going to be able to to generate this fifty thousand additional revenue. We might be all over that. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, meanwhile, we could generate the same with taking very little risk because the playbook is already out there. If we just reduced our tax exposure, yeah, yeah. So let me ask a real simple question here, but I always like to give some nuts and bolts. Um, give me one thing that you see that's a really common mistake that the or, or something that the co- the typical business owners overlooking. What do you see that's significant? You know, could maybe move the needle a little bit for somebody that's happening all the time. Uh, generally speaking, they don't have the right entity structure, so they've been they. Uh, haven't say made the S corporation election. So they've been overpaying in self-employment tax mm-hmm. or they're in the technology space and they don't know about some of the um, benefits of being a C corporation. If you hold it long-term. So they, they often have the wrong entity structure. If they do happen to be an S corp more than 95% of the time, when we look at it, they've missed uh, taking the health uh, properly reporting, taking the health insurance deduction Hmm. They haven't actually deducted their health insurance costs and they don't have what's called an accountable plan that would allow them to reimburse themselves for certain expenses like home office mileage, et cetera. So there's Mm -hmm. money that's already there, just little nuts and bolts. You're already entitled to this health insurance deduction. You just are reporting it. You have a home office. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you bring up a good point, you know, you're talking about a bunch of little things, right? And I think sometimes as business owners, they're like, ah, that's only 1500 bucks here and 2000 there. But I have found, I mean, there are some big tax moves, but a lot of tax savings is just a lot of little nuances. Would you agree with that or disagree? Yeah. What, what, uh, there's sort of um, two races that we run, I, I think, in tax planning. One is let's just get all the things that you're already missing. You don't even need to change your behavior at all. It's, you already have these things. You're already right. entitled to the home office uh, uh, reimbursement. You're already entitled to the Augusta loophole. Mm-hmm. Doing everything to uh, earn the Augusta loophole except for actually executing it. So <laughs> yeah, uh, it's already there. I know so you're already doing the- all those things. How much right. does that move the needle? How does, much does that get us closer? And then we can start looking at the more advanced- strategies. Right. Right. Let's at least capture the things that we 
or are we're missing now? Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. So it's great to hear someone else's perspective on that because you know I'm a little bit in my own echo chamber, and the people that I work with have a tendency to to think the same way as I do. But great to hear someone who's totally out there in a different place and and just coming at it. So you talked about behaviors. Um, give me an idea of like how someone might modify their behaviors in a way that would uh, allow them to, to do better tax wise. So a very common scenario that comes up with for us is uh, a married couple. One person is a high income earner and the other is working maybe part-time or not working outside of the home. Mm-hmm. Work with a lot of physicians, a lot of people in tech business owners and they already have uh, a couple of rental properties, mm-hmm. uh, but they don't know about the tax benefits of real estate professional status or short-term rentals. And so, so they haven't been tracking their time. So real estate professional status, you or your spouse needs 750 hours of qualifying time. Uh, and it needs to be more than 50%. Mm-hmm. So it's purely hours based test. And so, they already already have the hours and they haven't been documenting it because they didn't know this existed. Right. Or they're close. And if they change things a little bit, they could get the hour requirement by meeting. So they maybe buy another property uh, or kind of reconstitute things in a way. Now we have real estate professional status. Now we can take unlimited losses from real estate against our other sources of income. Right. And specifically active income, right? That's right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's a big problem for a lot of people. If you've got a big W2, right? Like it's, how do we offset that big W2 income? That's right. Yep. Yeah, if somebody said, what's the easiest way I've got a W2 make a million dollars. What's the easiest way for me to offset all of that? There's a playbook already out there, real estate professional status, where if your spouse could meet the hour requirements, you could back into how much real estate you need to buy to create the depreciation expense to offset all of your W2 income. Yeah. Yeah. And what if it took a year or two to get there? Okay. <laughs> Doesn't it? Yeah. We're so guilty of the, you know, there's these 10 cognitive distortions and one of them is all or nothing thinking. And so we get in this tendency back to sort of, there's all these quick wins mm-hmm. we could be getting. It doesn't have to be either I offset all my taxable liability or I don't do it. We can eat into it over a series of years because, again, if we save even 20 grand, uh, how hard would we have to work to earn another 20 grand? Right. Right. Like we just talked about. Yeah. $100,000 top line if your margins are are 20%. Right. Yeah. Well, and I I definitely see see that all the time where people think of taxes as a year to year thing, but there are quite a few strategies that are multi year strategies right? They're, they're layering or, you know, I kind of break it down into like structural tax strategy that happens perennially. And then situational tax strategy happens uh, annually, but yeah, there's a lot of stuff where you layer this stuff over time, especially if you're working with someone like yourself who maybe projects ahead, you're not just looking, okay, what's going to happen this year, but like, okay, what's going to happen over the next five years? Oh, you're building a new building. You're doing this, you're doing that. Let's you're going to have a ton of write-offs in the future. So maybe we should take as much of this this year as we can, because when you build the new building, whatever, you know, all kinds of different things that people just, if you're looking at things in a one-year vacuum, you miss a lot. 
It's so true. And I just say, again, think about the behavior of these big corporations, big investors, high net worth folks. They have a business plan for their taxes. And so that business plan is not just today, but it's looking out this year, maybe next five years, maybe longer if they have bigger vision because they understand uh, how big of an expense it is. And if I could take that, what I would have paid in tax and reinvest it into something, how we can create this flywheel. Oh man, it is, it's insane when you really see what happens there. I found it, found it interesting when I was in business school, they were talking about how a lot of, at the time, and this was the nineties, but they were talking about how Chinese corporations, many of them have a hundred year plan, right? Mm -hmm. And when you stop and think about things in terms of a hundred years versus next quarter or next year, the, the outcomes are so different in how you, how you really plan these things and, and the, you know, where you really end up long-term is, is vast. So I love you. I love that you're bringing that up. So, so Dan, I know you have a, a book coming out. You guys have an app, you guys have all kinds of different content. Tell us a little bit about how people can engage with you and find out because you're dropping a ton of, of wisdom and knowledge, but listen, taxes is very personal, right? Everybody's situation is different. How do they get to know you more? How do they start engaging in this stuff that's going to actually translate to quality of life? Yeah, well, if you want to create that solvable equation, your kind of unique wealth algorithm and begin to understand how your actions are getting you closer or further away from your priorities, then you can go to certaintyapp.com. We've got um, uh, kind of a freemium model so you can get on and, and uh, play around with it, get things set up and connect some of your accounts and things. So certainty app would be a good place if you're interested in, in creating that, that solvable equation uh, for yourselves and beginning to kind of clarify, am I actually getting closer to what I want? Mm-hmm. Uh, my book is sort of certaintybook.com uh, is about how do we, how do we rig the game? And I don't mean in a nefarious, like sketchy way, right back to the, every system is perfectly designed to create the outcome is currently generating how we all know somebody who win it seems like they constantly win mm-hmm. we know people who it seems like they constantly lose and then we know folks who it's like wow you burned the boats and from that you had this great success and then the next time you did it <laughs> you drowned failure like, what's going on how do people and so the the book is sort of my uh research it's a combination of kind of neuroscience, behavior, behavioral science, and uh, finance about how do we create the system for ourselves that gets us closer to the things that we want without having to be someone that we're not. Mm, I like that. Yeah, very, very cool and concise. Well, cool. So uh, awesome, awesome content. Wish we had more time because I don't get to you know nerd out about taxes too often <laughs> with people. But uh, Dan, something I like to do on the show is at the end here, just give you 30, 60, 90 seconds to say anything you want to say, whether it's related to what we're talking about or not, just uh, kind of give you a voice to, to share with the listeners, whatever you think is important. So uh, three, two, one, go. Well, I want to come back to every action should get you closer uh, to the things that you want. So generally when we've started, we started a business, it's for a reason. And yeah, there's probably money behind that, but there's likely something more to it. Maybe it's proving to yourself what you're capable of, or it's um, redefining your family tree, 
so on and so forth. So most of us are what I would call a purpose-driven entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. We want our business to serve us. The only way our business is going to actually serve us is if we get clear on what we want. We get clear on who we are, what's the game we're trying to play. And uh, we understand that every business decision is a financial decision. We can't divorce the two. There's not some separation between the strategic things that we're doing and the outcome financially, they're all intertwined. And, uh, and so if we're not going to do that, and we're not going to make sure that our business is getting us closer to the things that we want, then what are we doing? What's, what's, what's the point? So I would leave that. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Well, and the app will help us to determine, are we actually on that track or are we not? Uh, sounds like it, it really does help pull some of those pieces together. So yeah, just, just really appreciate you being here, Dan, sharing all this stuff with people. Uh, I think this is just a topic that is tremendously undervalued and, and sort of people are underinformed on. So I appreciate you taking some time and, and joining us here on the show. Yeah, my pleasure. Always happy to nerd out. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Small Business Big Life Show. If you're a six or seven figure business owner who'd like to be on the show, we'd love to talk about it. Just visit biglifefinancial.com slash guest to get the ball rolling. And if you heard something you loved on the show today, don't be shy about sharing it. And if you do, be sure to use the hashtag smallbusinessbiglife so we can see that you're sharing the love. And heck, if we swoon over your post, we might even pass it on to our many thousands of followers to help share the love and the spotlight with you. Speaking of love, if you like today's show, be sure to hit that subscribe button. You know why? Because then you'll never miss another episode and you can get all the motivation, inspiration, and insights with every new episode. Also, if you want to see everything else we're up to on YouTube, social media, or even in real life, you can always visit us at biglifefinancial.com. Well, that's it for today. My name's Derek Van Ness, and I want to personally thank you for being a part of the small business Big Life movement. Now get out there, create more than you consume, love people more than you need to, and believe in magic because yes, it does exist.